First Peter chapter 1. Start with verse 15. Listen to what it says. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Behold, because I am holy. Since you call on the Father, who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from the forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before creation of the world, but was revealed in these last days for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him so that your faith and hope are in God. Some good words from what Peter has to tell us. So let me ask you this question as we get started this morning. Why is there so much emphasis throughout the scriptures on the blood of Jesus? I mean, this really could be an Easter sermon, if you will. But why is there so much emphasis on the blood of Jesus? What difference does it really make that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave? I mean, does it really make a difference? Does it have any impact on our life? I was reading through the the hymnal, and I was looking at some old gospel hymns. And I was pleasantly surprised at all the hymns that mention the blood of Christ. So what I want to do this morning is sing a few of those songs for you. Just kidding. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Um, but I want to see if you know the words. I'm just going to say a short part of it, but I want to see if you know how that fits. Because the ones we know. You know, we sing them at the nursing home all the time. But the first one is this. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy what? Blood was shed for me. Yeah, that's just one of them. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. Just another one. Another one says, would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power. Power in the blood. It goes on to say, would you or evil victory win? There's wonderful power in his blood. Even talks about the power, 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 the wonder-working power of the blood of the Lamb. Another one says this, Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? That's just another one of them. I mean, it's so cool. Even we sing the old rugged cross, that is the third verse, which we don't often sing, that was stained with blood so divine. Talking about the blood of Jesus. All that emphasis on those hymns, as well as a lot of contemporary songs today, talks about the blood of Jesus. And there's hundreds more that we could have gone through. But why do these songs put so much emphasis on the blood of Jesus? Well, because the Bible puts a lot of emphasis on the blood of Jesus, so the songs do. But we also have it in the Scripture. In your outline, there's a man who put together this little collection about Scriptures that talk about the blood of Jesus. I mean, in Acts 20, 28, it says we were bought with this blood. We were bought with it. Romans 3, 25, we are forgiven through the blood. Romans 5, 9, we are justified by the blood. Paul says in Ephesians 1, 7, we have redemption through his blood. Ephesians 2, 12 through 15 says peace was made through this blood. 
Hebrews 9.14, we are cleansed by the blood. Hebrews 13, we are made holy through this blood. 1 John 1.7, we are purified from all sin through his blood. Revelations 12.11 says we overcome Satan through this blood. So again, why is the blood of Christ so important? In your outline it says this, the blood of Jesus is a powerful and effective force in our lives. It's a powerful and effective force in our life. We're about four weeks away from Easter, and even many non-Christians in the world today know that the Bible tells us what Jesus did for them on that Friday of Good Friday and then on Sunday, and that Jesus shed his blood on the cross. But another question is why? I mean, why was his blood shed on the cross? And why is it so important to us as Christians? What difference does it make that he died on the cross for us? It's simply because of this. Because we were redeemed. We were redeemed. Another word is ransomed that we can look at. Our passage this morning tells us, and First Peter says, you were redeemed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And even Matthew 20, 28 tells us that we were ransomed. Now, when you think of the word ransom, what does it mean? Usually we hear it because somebody was kidnapped and the ransom has been sent, and depending on how big the ransom is and how important you are, you know, so if somebody kidnapped me, they'd call you and want 10 bucks, you know, and then they'd be cool, that'd be a good price for that. But usually it's millions of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars for somebody because it's somebody of importance. And it's all to get people back that we love. You know, we'll give anything, we'll do anything almost to get that ransom done. The more important you are, the higher the ransom is. But John 3, 16 even tells us that for God so loved the world that he what? That he gave his only begotten son. That he gave Jesus as this ransom to redeem us, to buy us back, to give that ransom for us. So that whoever believeth in him should not perish, but have this everlasting life. We understand, I hope, that Jesus became that ransom for us. We were so important to God that Jesus paid for us with his blood that was shed on this cross. He died to buy us back from something. Just think about that. Jesus died for us. He shed his blood for us, for something that we would do one day. But what did he buy us back from? The ESV version says we were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from our forefathers. Our feudal ways. I mean, I'm not going to do a whole lot of my life that it's just all feudal. You know, if I get into it and it's like, this is a waste of time. I may finish that job, but I'm not going to keep doing it. Because feudal means what? It's a waste of time, right? If you keep doing something over and over again, and it's futile. Man, we're just wasting our time. We're going in circles. We're stuck in a rut. we got to move away from that and keep going. But this is what it's saying. Why did Jesus buy us back? Because of the futile, empty way of life that we have or once had. It's an empty life. And Jesus bought us from that. There's another version that says that we were bought back from our empty way of life, First Peter 1, 18. But what 
would make our lives empty. I mean, what makes our lives empty? Now, some of us will say, you know, if we couldn't see our grandkids, our life would be empty. If we couldn't see our, our own children, they'd be empty. Or if we couldn't get certain TV channels on the satellite and watch our certain sports, our life would be empty. What makes your life empty? Have you ever thought about it? I mean, what would truly make your life empty? You see, the emptiness in our lives, there is, the emptiness in our lives is there because we've been cut off from our God. That's emptiness. I mean, that's true emptiness. If we've been cut off from God, there was this famous psychologist named Carl Jung who wrote this. He says, those psychiatrists who are not superficial have come to the conclusion that the vast neurotic misery of the world could be termed in a termed a neurosis of emptiness. He says, men cut themselves off from the root of their being, from God, and then life turns empty, insane, and meaningless without purpose. So he says this, so when God goes, goals go. When goals go, meaning goes. When meaning goes, value goes, and life turns dead in our hands. This is actually in a sermon from somebody that wrote this letter to this psychiatrist. You know, understand that when we don't have God in our life, truly have God in our life, we are empty of everything. If God is not in our life, there is no purpose for us. If we don't have God in our life and we don't have purpose in our life, there is no reason for our existence in this life. Why? Because it's futile. It's a waste of time. You're stuck in this rut and we need to get out of it if we're in this position. And that's what we've got to understand this morning. There is no hope that life is going to get any better than what it is. If we don't have this hope, we don't have this purpose, we don't have this reasoning, there is no future beyond the grave for us. Well, there's a future, but not a future with God. There's not a future with heaven. The future is the gnashing of teeth. It's a place we call hell. It's a place that we're separated from God for eternity. And that's what we've got to grab onto. You see, if we're cut off from God in our lives, then our lives will be empty. We won't have anything to look forward to. And that's what Jung was saying. And that's what the Bible has always said. And the Bible says that what cuts us off from God is our sin. It separates us. I mean, God couldn't even look down on his son because he took the weight of the world, the sin of the world upon himself, and his own father had to turn away from him. So if we have sin in our life that we keep doing, we can't get rid of, and we've never given it to God, or we don't have God in our life, we're cut off from the Heavenly Father. It's empty. It's no good. So we need to understand that people inherently know this. Even people who don't go to church, even people who don't claim to be, have a relationship with God and do all these other things, they inherently know this. I mean, you know it's true. That's why when you do something that you ought not to, you experience shame and guilt. At least you should. And I think we're living in a time and in a world where that's even coming less and less. People do something and it's more like, oh, well, I did it again. And it's no big deal to him. At least we used to have a little shame. We used to have a little guilt that comes with it. That's why when you remember bad things from your past, kind of we have this wave of painful regret that sweeps kind of over us. You know, I think back in my life, and I'm only going to be 55 this year, but as well, I look back and think, man, I could have done a lot of things different. 
I could have done a lot of things better. And if I had it to do over again, I probably would. But I didn't. But I also know what I'm doing today, I do to the best of my ability because I'm doing it for God. And that makes all the difference in the world. So understand what we're saying, that we should have this regret. And so a lot of people sense the need, how do I say this, to pay for their sins somehow. Okay? So we're going to pay for our sins. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but Jesus already paid for those sins, right? They're already bought and paid for. But we get this idea that I need to pay for these sins. Many believe if they can just do enough good things. We've talked about this before. If they can do just enough good things, then they can cover the bad things. You know, when I worked at the hospital, we had what we call attaboy points. If you did something good, you got these attaboys. You worked the overtime, you got an attaboy. You did something good for a patient, you got these attaboys. But you could have 20 attaboys in your bank account and do one thing wrong, Guess what happened to the 20 attaboys? They were gone, okay? That's not this way with God. You can't earn all these attaboys by doing all this good stuff. Now, I'm not saying don't do good things, but don't do it thinking you're covering the bad things. Those things are already covered. That's why so many people, when asked if they're going to heaven, wonder if they've done enough good things to please God. I've told you before, I've done a lot of funerals for people, and the family have come and said, you know, so-and-so didn't go to church, didn't believe in God, cussed, drank, did all the things that he did, and, you know, didn't really have the faith. But we know he's going to heaven because he's such a good guy. And I'm supposed to get up and do a funeral for somebody because they're a good person. And that's why I've told you I don't preach people into heaven. I don't preach them out of hell. They do that themselves, you know. You can't do enough good things to cover the bad things. God's already done that for us. That's why there's this big dark spot in our lives, and they're wondering if the sheet they placed over their shame is big enough to hide their past. And if that is darkness, they feel peeking out somewhere. Reader's Digest once told an article of a 67-year-old man. His name was Bill. He actually donated 100 units or pints of blood over the years. I mean, you think about that. He, no, there's no doubt he helped save probably hundreds of lives with that donation of blood. But when asked if his good deeds would get him to heaven, he replied, when that final whistle blows and St. Peter asks, what did you do? I'll say, well, I gave 100 pints of blood that ought to get me in. I hate to say it, but I got news for Bill. His 100 pints of blood aren't going to cut it. It's not going to get him into heaven. You could give all your blood to the Red Cross. You could give all your possessions to the poor. You could give your life to save the life of someone else, and you still couldn't pay off the sins of our past until you've given your Christ, life to Christ. And you say he is our God. You see, the Bible tells us that there is only one blood that can cover my sins, and that's the blood of Jesus. That's why the blood of Jesus, that's why Jesus dying on the cross, shedding the blood for us is so important. Only his blood can pay the debt of my failures day in and day out. My good deeds are stained because of who I am. Romans 3.10 declares, none is righteous, no, not one, no matter what I might do to pay for my sins. Okay, I can't do it. So many times... 
you're out driving and you drive by somebody's house and they have these big garages, three, four garages, they have these big barns in the back. And what blows me away a lot of times is they have these garages and these barns full of stuff that's probably worth very little, but they park a $50,000 car outside year-round because they can't get it into the garage. You know, and you, when you're going to Lafayette on 231, just past Romney, there's this farm on the side. And if you look close enough, there's a decent house. And in this woods, there's old cars, just a bunch of stuff back in the woods. Trees have grown up through them. And I've driven that for 30 years. And I've watched this grow and build and all this stuff is out there. And I'm thinking, why? Why keep all of this? And to him, it's probably one of those things... I can't really see it. The trees are hiding it. No big deal. Why, why worry about it? So he doesn't. And nobody has to worry about it until the next person has to worry about it. And so many times I have to wonder, it's not my problem until I have to deal with it. And you see, sin is my problem. It's your problem. And we deal with it every day. That's kind of what happens when people try to hide their sins behind their good deeds. Like this guy, he's hidden all this stuff back in the woods and let the trees and the grass and everything grow up around it. It's out of sight, out of mind. But is it still there? Yeah, all the cars and all the stuff is still in the woods, being hid. Just because we do all these things and try to hide it, it's still there. And it's not taken care of until somebody else comes, hauls it away, or we let Jesus cover it with his blood. That's what the blood of Jesus is all about. You see, Jesus not only died to forgive our sins, he rose from the dead to clean everything up, to cleanse us, and to give us a new life. That's what Romans 6 tells us, where he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by the baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk a newness of life. Grab onto this truth. You see, when you're baptized into Christ, you've died to your sins. In other words, our sins are buried in the water at the very bottom. And we understand that's what Christ did for us. When you rise up out of the baptistry, you rise to a newness of life. In other words, you die to sin and you rise to walk a new way, a new way, a new way of life because Christ died for us. That's why the cross and the empty tomb are so central to what we believe. It's so important to our Christianity. It's so important to our lives. Now, Jesus did all that for us. We need to grab onto that also. He died, was buried, rose from the grave, and gave us salvation. He did it all. And understand, we can't earn any of this. We can't pay enough. We can't do enough. We can't do any of this to earn God's forgiveness. But what you can do is accept it. Accept this gift. You know, this whole idea of what Christ does for us. And you know, you've heard me say it before, and I'm going to say it again. The power that rose Jesus from the dead is the same power that lives in us. We just don't recognize it enough. We don't call on it enough. 
but it's something we need to really understand. We have to accept it. So understand, I've given you four things here as we close. Number one, we have to believe in Jesus. Okay? Now, I think I'm preaching to the choir here. I think we're sitting here this morning. I think pretty much all of us believe in Jesus. Acts 16.31 says this, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Understand, there's no series of lessons you have to go through. There's no classes you need to sit through. All you need to do to be saved, according to this, is that Jesus is he and he was the Son of God. And he died on the cross for our sins. But it doesn't stop there. Please hear that. It's just not believing and saying this prayer. I've never found the prayer that saves us. Jesus saves us. So number one, we believe in Jesus. Number two, we repent of our sins. Because this is what the Bible says. Acts 2.38 says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This whole idea of repentance is a theme throughout Scripture like the blood of Jesus is. We're told over and over again to do these things. You see, all repentance is is acceptance of the fact that we need to turn away from sin and turn towards God. Getting rid of the old, putting on the new. And it's all what God is asking us to do. So we, be, we believe, we repent. Number three, Romans 10 9 says we confess Jesus as Lord. We confess him. Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It doesn't talk about confessing sins, but in confessing that Jesus will now be the Lord of our life. You know, yet we repent, we tell him all the things we've done, but we're also putting Jesus as Lord over all those things, over all the sins of our life. You are giving him full control And that's why you're there in that moment. So we believe, we repent, we confess. And so many people want to stop there. They'll just say, raise your hand, say this prayer, and we move on. But it actually says one more thing. We get buried in the waters of baptism. I mean, 1 Peter 3.21 says this. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the body but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, so we need to understand that we believe, we repent, we confess, that we get buried in the waters of baptisms, not because that's what I think, that's not because of what the elders think or the board thinks, it's what Jesus says that we need to do, that we have to do. You see, there's power of baptism, and the power is not in this water. We understand that, right? Okay, it's just water. Yeah, I put a few chemicals in it about once a month to keep it pure, get, you know, nice and clean and blue and all that stuff. That's well water from right out here. But what it does is it symbolizes the washing away of sins. It symbolizes us going into that grave as Jesus went into that grave, dying to ourselves and rising to that new life that he has given to us. It's a simple as that okay it's as simple as that but sometimes it's hard for us to grab onto faith in jesus repentance of our sins confession of jesus as lord and being buried in the waters of baptism for the forgiveness of sins so we need to grab on i keep saying that because i want us to hold tight to the truth that god gives us about this holiness idea and about doing what god wants us to do we can't do it without him 
And you see, we need to understand this if we're going to go into this next idea in Colossians that Jesus is Lord. He is Lord of our life. Unless we have him in our life the way he says he needs to be, he cannot be the true Lord of our life. I want to close with the story of a man who did just that. A man who came to Jesus because he heard of Jesus' blood. This man in our text or in our scriptures was the Ethiopian eunuch. In Acts 9, we're told that this eunuch was riding in his chariot and was reading from the book of Isaiah. But he didn't understand what he was reading. And unknown to him, God had already put into motion and arranged for him to meet this man named Philip, to be in the area to witness to him. And we're told this. It says, the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come in and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that we're reading was like this, Acts 9, 32 and 33. So like a sheep who was led to slaughter, and like a lamb before a shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life was taken away from this earth. But this part of Isaiah 53 that it refers to is a small section of this powerful prophecy that Isaiah is giving about our coming Messiah. Because Isaiah 53, 5 says this, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Go back to the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. It says, The eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? And it says, Philip started with that scripture and told him the good news of Jesus Christ. The story says that this Ethiopian eunuch was so overwhelmed by what he heard that they were going along. They came to some water, and the eunuch said this, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but he went on his way rejoicing. One last thought. Did you see what the Ethiopian did after he was baptized? Did you catch that? He went away what? Rejoicing. Rejoicing. I mean, Philip didn't say, well, you need to go find a church first. You need to go to church so many weeks first. You need to go through these classes first. You need to do all these things first. And no, no, there's some water, Philip. Why can't I be baptized? And Philip said, oh, stop the horses. Let's go. Let's do it. And he went away rejoicing folks let's face it the world has no interest in a risen savior they don't i think it's going to change i think something's going to happen in our world again that's going to turn us back to god and i hate to see what that's going to have to be but it will happen but they don't and they're not interested in the savior because he hasn't become their savior He hasn't become their God. They live an empty, futile life because they keep doing the things over and over again. I mean, we were just at a wedding yesterday, and it's amazing to me, all the people that have to drink to have this good time. You know, uh, we're sitting there, and it's 7 o'clock our time before we're getting to eat, and the wedding party's just coming in three hours after the wedding. 
and they had this party bus and three of them were coming in pretty well three sheets into the wind already you know then we just had this beautiful wedding and all this and I'll, then we have to do this and I'm thinking I knew what I was preaching today I'm thinking that's so sad to do where is God in our life I know I'm preaching to the choir for the majority of us Maybe you're sitting this morning, you've never received Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You've never taken that step. You've never done the steps. You can say, I've done the first one, the second one, the third one. But that fourth one just kind of is out there somewhere. And it's my prayer this morning as we go into this invitation time that we truly understand what God is calling us to. It's not saying we're going to change everything we are just like that, that all the things are going to get better. We're going to be able to do everything so much different. But it's a step that we receive Christ and we receive that gift of the Holy Spirit. And then it makes things so much easier to do.